Well, good morning. And just be honest, when you looked at the title of the sermon today, how many of you guys went, oh man, anybody, anybody? Okay. Well, today we're going through this series on the seven deadly sins, and today we're taking a look at this idea of greed. And just, I want to preface this whole message just by saying that the biggest God in our society, besides God, is this God of money for so many people. And you can see it, it's ramifications in materialism and the lack of giving and, and all sorts of things across the land. So I want to talk about this a little bit, and we're going to talk about, we're going to start in Proverbs 21, verse 20, where Solomon says this. He says, the wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. I think this is kind of a, an interesting verse today, primarily because I don't think very many people do it, the saving thing, right? And I base that kind of statement on this recent study or survey that said that Americans today buy $1,300 on credit for every $1,000 that they make. Which just means as a culture, we're going deeper and deeper into debt. And the disturbing part about this, I guess for me, was when I saw this next part, which says 11 years ago in 2006, it was the first time since before the Great Depression that Americans had spent more than they made. And we've done that for 11 years straight. Yes. So let me say that again. People are spending more than they're making today. We can sell it. We can see that in our government. We see that the debt keeps going up, but it doesn't make any sense in our lives either, right? And eventually there's a comeuppance for that. We've done it every since year since 2006. And so I know it doesn't make any sense, but, and it's certainly not sustainable, but in any case, it, it is what it is. And so consequently, we live in a society that tends to judge people by the way they spend their money and very little reward psychologically, in fact, for, for being a saver of any extent. And nowhere more is that true than in Phoenix. The Phoenix area, in fact, can now lay claim to being one of the top 10 areas in America for bankruptcies. Yay us. So maybe it's true. The family that buys together cries together. And the chief culprit, the bottom line seems to be this area of greed. And so in Proverbs 27, verse 20, it says this, Human desires are like the world of the dead. There's always room for more. Solomon is just saying here that the reality is, is that most of the debt we get into is not caused by our needs, right? They're caused by our wants. We, we have an epidemic of what I'll call wantititis, where we see it and we want it and we got to go get it, right? Even when I don't have the money. And so I want you to ask yourself this question, what is it that you want more of in your life that you find yourself spending even when you don't have the money to go get it? What may, motivates you to live beyond your means why are we really satisfied with what we have? And we spend ourselves into debt, and with that debt comes stress and anxiety and worry and fear. It, with that comes all those creditors that call you all the time saying, hey, it's time to pay your bill. And I think the answer to that is found in two common misconceptions. And the word misconceptions, we'll just, another word for that is lies. There's two common lies that we buy into in this whole area of, of materialism or, or finance or money or whatever it is in our culture. And they'll, they'll sound familiar to you, but... It's things that I think that we really believe. The first one is this, that having more things will make me more happy, right? I think we really believe that because no society seems to have as much stuff as we do. We've got lots and lots of stuff. We fill our homes with lots and lots of stuff. We, we go on vacations and do lots and lots of stuff. Technology has produced more and more products and advertising comes along and tells us that we've got to have it to really live. Hence the iPhone 10 that just came out that blew out sales right in the first day. Everybody had to have the newest and best and latest version. By the time an average high school student graduates high school, they've seen 350,000 commercials and they're all saying the same thing. Buy my stuff. 
What's the basic message of advertising? It's you can buy happiness. Makes sense, right? When you watch the different commercials, buy this and you'll be happy, buy this and you'll be popular, buy this and you'll be cool, buy this and you'll have no worries, buy this, buy this, buy this. And so I'll just ask this simple question, can you really buy happiness? I mean, we always think so as we're watching the commercials, but, but can you really buy it? You know, greed used to be so easy to control. You run out of money, you stop spending, the end of greed, right? But today we have a thing called plastic money. And so you keep on spending even when you don't have the money. You keep on going to buy things that you really don't need. One girl said, my mom is only happy when she's spending money. So every day she would go out and shop until one day she got her credit card stolen. Her boyfriend said, oh no, did your dad report the thefts? And the girl said, no, the thieves are charging less than my mom did. (laughs) But even though we won't admit it, we have this sense, at least when we're watching the commercials, that You know, buying more things will make me more happy. If I can just move into this neighborhood, if I can just get this bigger house, or if I can just get this newer car, or if I can just have this new iPhone, or if I can just have this next thing, my life will be better. I'll be more happy. But in Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10 and 11, it says, He who loves money shall never have enough. The foolishness of thinking that wealth brings happiness. The more you have, the more you spend. And just kind of rationally, it stands to reason, right? If things buy happiness, that the people who had the most things would be the most happy, but, but that isn't even close to being true. Things can bring you happiness, absolutely, for a season, for a while, but then the thrill wears off. I'll just give you an example of that. How many of you guys are over-the-top ecstatic about the Christmas gifts you got last Christmas? I mean, every time you look at it, you're like, oh, this is just the coolest thing ever. Why? One person, awesome, man. One person's content. Everybody else, right? It it loses its shine. It wears off. Because you want the bigger, better, newer version because it's time to remodel. Things do bring thrills temporarily, but then the thrills wear off. And as a result, we find ourselves not having this lasting happiness that they promised that things really don't buy, this happiness that we crave. Here's another lie that we buy into, and I think this is even more pervasive, and I think you'll recognize it immediately, and it's this. And you might not even want to agree that it's a lie at the beginning. Having more things will make me more secure. And so if I get more things, I'll be more secure. And I'll get that ultimate thing that we all want, which is financial freedom, financial independence, where I can actually retire one day and I have a way to retire and I don't have to, you know, live in a shoebox on the side of the road. I mean, financial independence. But have you ever noticed the more possessions you have, the more there is to worry about? If you didn't have any money in the stocks, do you care if the stock market goes up or down? If you have a bunch of stocks in the stock market, do you care if the market goes up or down? All of a sudden, there's more to worry about. In Proverbs 11:28, it says, those who depend on their wealth will fall like leaves of autumn. And I'll just put it this way. How many ways can you lose everything overnight? Answers a lot, actually. And so if you're going to have security, true security in life, you must put your security in something ultimately that cannot be taken away from you. Why? Because you can have it all and lose it overnight. In 1 Timothy 6, 9, it says, when we long to be rich, we are prey to temptation. We get trapped into all sorts of foolish and dangerous ambitions, which eventually plunge us into ruin. It's interesting, I was reading this. Do you know how they catch monkeys? They get a little coconut and they drill a hole and they put a piece of candy in it and they attach this coconut to a chain, okay? And so a monkey comes along, and the hole is big enough for the monkey to put his hand in and grab the, grab the candy, but it's not big enough to pull it out unless he releases the candy. The monkeys 
won't let go of the candy. That's how they catch monkeys. Similarly, right, we become possessed by our possessions. For example, if God asks you to give something you own away right now, and God just said, I want you to give this away, but you found that you couldn't, wouldn't, or shouldn't give it away, then you don't own it, it owns you. You are a slave to your possessions. You're unwilling to let go of the candy. But the problem with things is the more you get, the more they have to be maintained. And yet people will sacrifice all kinds of things, even relationships for material possessions. Guy won the lottery one time and he called home and he said, honey, I just won $50 million, start packing. She said, hot weather or cold weather? He said, I don't care as long as you're home, not home when I get home, you know? I know, I blew that, I blew that joke. <laughs> But money does things to you. I guess that's my point, right? I've seen families absolutely ruined because somebody in the family is trying to get a little bit more. You watch people going through inheritance. And ask any family that's been through a family crisis with an inheritance. And people that loved each other and cared each other and spent time together all of a sudden hate each other's gut. I've seen a family destroyed literally over a place setting because two girls wanted that place setting and only one got it, Right? People get crazy, people get petty, people get greedy and envious as they go through life. And you think it doesn't happen to you, but think about even an inheritance from your parents, that five bucks that they're leaving you, right? Is what if your brother got that and you didn't? And so the question becomes, as we take a look at these, is how do you enjoy life more with less? Or maybe a better way to put it is how do we break free from this, this sin of greed? Because it is a sin. And we're going to talk about two things that Scripture gives us, and they're both to attack the two lies, two misconceptions that are in our society today. Because that's the way you combat lies, is you combat them with God's truth. And so the first thing I'm going to give you is that first one, and it's this, that I find my self-worth and thus my joy and my happiness in knowing God. In Isaiah 43, verse 4, it says, God says this, and I want you to hear this. God says, you are precious in my sight. That's what God thinks about you. And ultimately, that's the basis of real self-worth, that God thinks you're something, that God created you to be something, that God created you with purpose, and, and he created you intentionally, and he created you amazing, and you have self-worth because God says you have self-worth. It's uniquely created by God and are precious in his sight. But when I'm insecure... I don't feel good about me when I'm feeling inferior, when I have to have status symbols to prop me up, when I'm looking to things to make me feel better, then those should be red flags that are telling me that I'm really, really in trouble, that I'm missing the boat, that I've lost perspective, that I've got misplaced priorities, that I'm worshiping the creator or creation instead of the creator. Because when you really understand how much God loves you, that you matter to him, right? That you are significant to him, that, that you're not here on earth just by accident, that you, you're put on this earth for a reason, then all of a sudden you are released, right? From, you don't have to prove yourself to everybody else because God already thinks you're something. Your self-worth is based on what God says about you and not what you say about you and not what your friends say about you, but what he says about you. And when you get that, you don't have to go around trying to impress everybody else and that's freeing. Think about how many things you do to either impress or compare yourself to or to uh, get people to like you. How many things we do in life that are not motivated by truth but are motivated by that desperation 
In Romans 5, 8, it says, the proof of God's amazing love is this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And that's an amazing thing. He saw that we were messed up and he came to save us. He didn't come because he thought we were perfect. He came because he knew we needed a savior. And the cross shows us how important you are to him. Jesus says you're worth dying for. And that's pretty significant. And I'll base it on this. How many people do you know that would die for you? I don't know very many. I'm hoping there's one. You know, that's all. But I I don't know very many, to be honest. So the fact that he would and did, well, that should make you understand how precious, how important, how valuable you are in his sight. And so when you start finding your happiness in helping others, and when you start finding your self-worth in God's promises, that God made me for a purpose, that he loves me, that I'm significant in his eyes, then all of a sudden I'm freed from the expectations of other people. And guys, that is freedom. I want to give you a second one too, second truth to combat that second lie. And that's this, that I can find my security in knowing God as well. I'll try to bear that out a little bit. In Hebrews 13, 5, it says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, I will never leave you nor abandon you. This says you are to keep your lives free from the love of money. And to be fair, this, is, this verse is misquoted all the time by people. They keep saying that money is the root of all evil, but that's not what God says at all, is it? He says the love of money is the root of all evil. Reality is that you should only love God and love others. We are to love God and love others and to use things. When we start loving things, we tend to use people, right? We start to use others. You get it reversed. But money is to be used and people are to be loved and not used. And when we start putting something else as the all-important thing, and again, I'll bring you to that inheritance, this family squabbles, are the relationships the important thing? No. It's getting the place setting. It's getting a few extra dollars. It's, it's getting their way. It's, it's all the other stuff that they put in front of their family. So it says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, I will never leave you nor will I abandon you. God says, I'm with you. I have everything. I'm the creator of the world. I'm all you need. So which should give you a greater sense of security? And this is going to be a hard one for some of you, probably for all of us. But which should ultimately give you a greater sense of security? Knowing that you have $200,000 in the bank or knowing that God has promised to provide you with all your needs? It's weird that we struggle with that, isn't it? Which of those two do you think are more dependable? Which of those two do you think can never be taken away from you? Which of those two will be lasting 100, 200, 300 years from now? God says, nothing can separate you from my love. And so if you're going to be secure, ultimately secure, really secure, You've got to put your security not in a bank account, but in something that cannot be taken away from you, something that cannot ever be lost. And so whether your bank account is lost or not, whether America goes into a Great Depression or not, whether we're bombed by North Korea or not, your security is in God. In Matthew 6, 19 and 21, it says, Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but store up treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. He's basically saying we need to learn to establish a nest egg in heaven. That that's real security. Storing up treasures in heaven, but you start asking, how do you do that? And the answer is by investing on people that are going there. You cannot take it with you. It's interesting, Alexander the Great, when he died, he commanded that he be buried with his hands sticking out of his coffin, open-handed, so that people could see that you can't take it with you. What does God say? 
God says that you can send it on ahead. In the end, God teaches this. He says giving is the antidote to materialism. That's it. It teaches me to give away. It teaches me to keep my priorities right. They ask the test of am I materialistic or not is how easy is it for me to give something away? How generous am I? When people start talking about giving, do, you, do I get irritated? And then the big joke, whenever you do a tithing sermon, this is a greed sermon, not a tithing sermon, but the reality is whenever you talk about that, people get upset, right? Because why? Because we're asking them to choose between their two gods, and it's hard. And they have to choose one, and you get angry at the other. When people start asking you to give something, some more money, do you get irritated? Because if you do, that's a symptom for what's really important in your life. But again, God says, store up treasures in heaven. It seems, though, that the most sensitive nerve in our body seems to be the nerve that goes from our pocketbook to our hearts. Yet the acid test of am I materialistic or not is look at my giving. How much do I hold on to? How much do I give away? How much... Am I giving to God? Am I even giving him priority? When I am generous, when I'm holding everything that I have with an open hand, then what that is saying, I trust you, God, and I don't have anything that I have to hoard because I trust that you got me. Yeah, I talk to people all the time and they keep talking, how much is enough for retirement? And it's always scary because you don't know. But I've talked to people that have 150,000 already in there and they're like, I don't know if that's enough. So they keep going. At some point, you've got to stop trusting the dollars and start trusting God. Not that you shouldn't plan for retirement. You should. Don't hear me say that, right? But we've got to trust God with the stuff we can't control. We can control X, Y, and Z, but God has to control all the rest. If I give it all away today, I trust that God will provide some, me enough for tomorrow. So what happens when we really trust God in this area? Philippians 4.19 says, And God shall supply all your needs. Materialism, because we live in this country, is rabid. We live in a capital of, of materialism. It causes our priorities to get just all out of whack. And all of a sudden, things are more important than people. Things get more important than God. And that's where we get into trouble. So my friends, I'll just tell you what God says. He says, seek first his kingdom this day. Trust his promises. And he shall supply all your needs. My prayer is this that more and more, you guys, we get to a place where you trust God more and more with this area of money in your life. If you can, there is freedom in it, and there is peace, and there's even joy, because you're trusting the Almighty to get you through, because you're trusting the Almighty to provide enough, because you're trusting God, and that brings peace and joy and comfort always in your life. So I, t- I I give you this sermon to basically make you uncomfortable, to cause you to wrestle with this sin, because it is something that's super, super prevalent, and it's something we're all touched by. So go with this encouragement today, and all God's people said, amen. Let us pray. Father, we talk about these different sins. Man, they they all seem to get uncomfortable. We're all affected by pride. We're affected by uh, gluttony to different extents. But we seem always to be affected by this area of greed, Lord, especially living in America as we do. Father, we've been taught from the very earliest of ages that we should try to get more than everybody else to succeed and everybody will envy us as a result and we'll be popular or whatever. This idea of competition is awesome in so many ways, but 
But when it comes to greed, Lord, we lose sight. It causes us to not trust you. It causes us to try to do things on our own. It causes us to sin sometimes because we're trying to get something and putting that before you. And so, Father, one of the things, too, we realize is because of all this, we fight about it a lot. It ruins families. It ruins marriages. It causes stress and anxiety and fear. And so today, Father, we pray, help us take this in a little bit more seriously in our life. Help us start to trust you with more and more in our life and trust your promise that you got us and that you'll provide for us and that you're with us. And we pray that today in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.